0: You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Fort Smith, Arkansas, December 1994. Melissa Witt, who was 19 at the time, starts her day off like she normally does. She spent the first part of her, of her morning with her mother, Marianne Witt. She was an honor student and she was headed to West Art Community College, which is now, I believe, the University of Arkansas there in Fort Smith. After that... She met with her friend at Chick-fil-A, which was right down the road from the college, and she worked at a dental office, part-time as a dental assistant, so from there, she went to work. Now, before she left that morning, she had, like, a minor disagreement with her mother. She had asked to borrow money, and in an effort to teach her some sort of money management, her mother actually told her no, and I kind of got into it they had not come to terms when she left. Before Mary Ann left to go to work, she had actually left a note for Melissa reminding her that she would be bowling with her league that evening and she offered to buy her a hamburger. She signed it, love mom, um, probably in a motherly attempt to placate like I still love you. I'm not going to give you money but I still love you. I'll come, buy you. I'll come by and I'll buy you a hamburger. So at 5 o'clock that night, after clocking out of her dental assistant job, Melissa discovered that her 1995 Mitsubishi Mirage would not start. After a few tries, she gave up and actually waited with a coworker until a local businessman later dubbed the quote Good Samaritan um, had stopped by and actually gave her car a jump. Police reports now detail how Melissa's dome light was actually left on by mistake and it had drained her car battery. So around 5:45 that night, Melissa arrives back at home. She goes in the house, she changes her clothes and according to a neighbor who saw her come and go, it's believed that she was wearing a white V-neck sweater and blue jeans the uniform that she had wore to work was actually found crumpled on her bedroom floor her mother also says that the art of deduction of knowing what her what melissa wore and what she owned um she also deduced that she had wore out the white v-neck sweater and blue jeans so she must have seen her mother's note because authorities believe that she headed to the Bowling World bowling alley and actually got there somewhere between 6.30 and 7 p.m. She parked on the northwest corner of the lot and never actually made it inside. There were no cameras at that time. because so We're talking about 94, so there were no cameras outside in the parking lot to you know, record anything that happened during that time. Now witnesses would later tell police that they heard a woman screaming help me but never actually saw her or saw what precisely was happening. So around 7.45pm Melissa's car keys were found in the parking lot and were turned in to the front desk of the bowling world and no one even noticed the splatter of blood that was on the metal of the keys. Since Melissa didn't show up, um, her mother, Marianne, just thought, you know, well, maybe she's still mad at me. Maybe she just decided not to come tonight. She went out with friends or something instead. And by the next morning, though, Marianne was pretty worried. Around nine o'clock on Friday morning, Marianne reported Melissa as a missing person, By Saturday, Melissa's friends and family were passing out flyers, um, blanketing the River Valley with over like 6,000 pleas for help in finding the missing teenager. So one of those witnesses who heard a woman screaming in the parking lot was actually a small boy who was with his mother at Bowling World. And he said he went out to get a book from from the car and he heard a woman screaming, help me. He said he didn't see anyone, but said at the time it was around 6.30 or 6.40 p.m. I'm not sure about the other witness. So December 2nd, 1994, around 2 a.m., Marianne starts to get worried about Melissa, and she calls Tara, who was a very good friend of Melissa's, to see if she had heard from her at all. Of course, Tara said she didn't know where Melissa was. Um, Melissa and Tara had uh, a biology class together on Fridays, and they actually had plans to hang out that evening, Um, but she had not heard from her. So by 9 a.m. the next morning, Mary Ann is reporting Melissa missing. So the officer actually told Mary Ann that since Melissa was over 18, she could just come and go as she wanted to. Um, Thought that maybe she had left on her own accord. And the only thing was that Mary Ann knew her and knew that this was kind of, this was out of character for Melissa. Um, But that point in the investigation, like there was no reason to believe that she was abducted, at least by the police. The next day, September 3rd, 1994, Melissa's car was found at Bowling World. Melissa drove a white 1995 Mitsubishi Mirage, like we mentioned earlier, and the car showed signs of a struggle. The only clues left at the scene were a gold hoop earring, a crushed hair clip, her car keys, and a small pool of blood. The family immediately started handing out missing persons flyers um, throughout the River Valley area. So on January 11th, 1995, she has not been heard from up to this point, from December 3rd, well, technically from December 1st to December 11th, she had not been heard from up to this point. And the police actually received this weird phone call. At the time, they did not have caller ID in the office. Remember, this is january 11th 1995 um and so they didn't know where the call was coming from it was a voice recording on the machine they had at their major crimes office and the voice on the message was a lady with a really strong southern accent and she could be heard kind of saying almost like over her shoulder quote go ahead and tell them what you found end quote and there was also a younger male voice also with a strong southern accent um, that said something like I can't and then the phone hung up they don't know if this is directly related to Melissa's case but they suspect that it is because two days later on January 13, 1995, at 9.40 a.m., Melissa's body is found by two trappers in the Ozark National Forest. She had been brutally murdered and left to, to die along a logging trail in the Ozark National Forest, about 50 miles from where she was abducted. A trapper was there look, looking for deer on a Forest Service road about 18 miles north of Ozark and actually noticed her nude body. Laying face down, about thirty mile, uh, about thirty yards from the road. The road was Forest Service Road fifteen fifty one, right off of Franklin County one eleven, and is also known as Jethro Road. At one p.m., Melissa is pronounced dead. Uh, her body was placed near this very large headstone-looking rock. Her clothing was missing from the crime scene, including her jeans, her undergarments, her purse, one earring, and her Mickey Mouse watch. She had been strangled to death and sexually assaulted. Her hyoid bone had been broken. So we can assume that... and, And she actually did have... Later, they found dirt and leaves in her lungs. So this would imply... That someone used a lot of force to hold her down face first on the ground and strangle her to death. That's what it would take to to break or fracture that hyoid bone, which is like a little floating bone in your neck. The two men that actually found her were avid out, outdoorsmen. They walked the path the day before And they had actually said that she was not there the day before. Like, they were adamant that she was not on that part of the trail the day before. The lead detective on the case, J.C. Ryder at the time. And it was said that this logging road that she was found on was basically kind of on like this cul-de-sac sort of dead-end road. And suspected that only someone who really knew the area well would know to leave her body out there and for it to not be found and it it was in fact what is this 45 days later after she went missing The medical examiner's report said that the official cause of death was asphyxiation by strangulation. As I said, leaves and soil were found in her airway, in her lungs, that indicated that she had been strangled face down and she had inhaled debris from the forest floor. Lab testing was done on that debris and something pretty important was found that the debris was actually native to the Ozark National Forest. So we kind of can get an idea here that she was not killed in the parking lot she was not um taken probably anywhere in town and killed but that she was actually driven out to this precise place and and more than likely killed there on the spot she did have non-fatal trauma on the side of her head and that was believed to have been caused by possibly someone striking her in the parking lot with something which would also explain the blood in the parking lot and would also explain, you know, if she's unconscious, how this person could keep her subdued while driving out to this area, because we're talking like a 30, 45 minute drive. It's very, very isolated, a super isolated area. Again, um, this particular Part of the forest is so isolated that just not a whole lot of people are going to know about it and there were actually indentations behind this headstone like rock positioned between two small trees revealed that her body had actually had initially been hidden there and then there were visible drag marks where someone probably grabbed her and drug her closer to the road to be found now there's a good chance that this anonymous caller either initially or went back out there and and moved her from behind this rock so that she could be found but didn't want to be implicated police are still searching for that person to surmise she was hit in the head with a blunt instrument probably knocked out taken to this location she was found strangled outdoors naked no clothes no personal belongings and those things have never been found like to this day so we know she was wearing blue jeans and most importantly this mickey mouse watch because her mother i believe had just given that to her for christmas and it was, you know, it has a serial number on it uh, and she had still had the receipts for the serial numbers. So, you know, <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but if you ever, if any of you out there ever come across a Mickey Mouse watch, um, you know what, just take a picture of the serial number on the back, log where you saw it. Uh, if you can afford to purchase it, if it's a, like at a garage sale or something buy it. You never know um, what finding this watch could do. And they also believed that this location was familiar to the killer. Now, there were several, 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 several leads. Obviously, it hasn't really gone anywhere um, because we're talking about a, a, a murder from the end of 94, early 95, to today that has never been solved. I do, however, have on the show with me today two authors. The first is LaDonna Humphrey. She is an award-winning writer, documentarian, investigative journalist, private investigator, and an advocate for victims of crime. So some of her passions include advocating for missing adults, crime victims, children in foster care, and for women in recovery. In April of 2022, LaDonna came out with her debut book titled The Girl I Never Knew, which is an Amazon bestseller. It was published by Genius Book Publishing, and it was exclusively about the Melissa Witt case. She went to make a documentary about this, case thinking that she was going to go down there and make a documentary and move on to her next case and she ended up being enveloped in this case for I believe she told me um seven or eight years now and so of course she has been you know investigating this case as well in her book she goes in a lot of detail about who the suspects were um kind of some twists and turns of the case later on when she got involved with it she talks about her relationships with the investigators um and you know anything that she uncovered at the time and so you know if you guys would like to read a little bit more into that go out and get the girl I never knew who killed Melissa Witt by LaDonna Humphrey you can get it wherever you get your books. Any bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you want it. You can also go to our website. I all—I have it all linked and, and the next book I'm about to tell you about as well. It's all linked on our website, which is www.thesirenspodcast.com slash author You can just click the button and go purchase it. Um, but we also have Alicia Lockhart on the show with us. And Lockhart is a writer a researcher and an advocate for women's safety so she actually co-authored Strangled which is the second book in the Who Killed Melissa Witt series Uh, these two women their lines crossed and I will let them tell you about how that came about Um, but Strangled is now out as well wherever you like to get your books and To even further dive into this and some of the context in Strangled, they started a podcast together as well called the Deep Dark Secrets Podcast, and they co-host together. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with these two wonderful authors, LaDonna Humphrey and Alicia Lockhart. Hi. Hello.
1: (laughs) Hi. Hello. I guess we're...
0: (laughs) On this episode, we are talking about Melissa Witt, and I have two pretty cool people here with me. I've got LaDonna Humphrey and Alicia Lockhart. We've got two
2: books, The Girl I Never Knew
0: and Strangled, and we're going to talk about both of them.
2: Yeah, my name is Alicia Lockhart. Um, I'm an author, a podcaster... We, LaDonna and I have a podcast called Deep Dark Secrets, It's kind of a fringe topic, true crime podcast. And it's newer, right? Yeah, it's super new. We have six episodes out now, so that's always on the forefront of my mind, Um, kind of a new title of mine that I'm excited about. I can't wait to listen. Yeah, yeah, it's a very dark uh, (laughs) podcast at this point, but we will be exploring, um, you know, other topics after the season as well and I am a women's advocate. Um, I've had some dangerous experiences in my past, and I like to share my experiences to kind of help people, I guess, just stay safe out in the world, And, um, and the experiences that I've had have really led me into writing, podcasting, and advocating for women. So that's that's what I'm up to these days. That's a
0: lot of what we do here.
3: Yes. (laughs) So meshing real nice. I'm LaDonna Humphrey. I am a podcaster and author. I have two books out. I'm very excited about that. I'm a private investigator, and I'm also an executive director for a women's sober living home and a mom of seven. So the big
0: question, now I know, I I say this all the time, we have a lot of authors on and I say this all the time. I know you talk about a lot of this in the book. You talk about a lot about yourselves in the books. And so we're just going to kind of hit the highlights here. Um, but with The uh, the Girl I Never Knew,
3: you didn't actually go into this looking to write a book. It was more of a documentary, right? That's right. So, you know, when I got involved in 2015, it was at the ending of a nonprofit that I had founded that we had ran for you know a decade and a half called let's bring them home and we you know provided services to families that had missing adults and worked really hard doing that you know there's such a lack of services across the United States and with the rise of NamUs you know it's a government database it's funded by the you know by the federal government so you know our services weren't needed anymore but we wanted to finish strong and our team decided to do a documentary. And in my mind, you know, I was the boss and I thought that I had it all figured out that we were going to put together a documentary about the plight of missing adults in the United States. But my team got together, you know, the were 11 of us around a table and they kept saying, "What about the Wit case?" And I would say, "No. I I hate that that happened to her. I really do, but she's not missing. They found her body." And if you can believe it, they took a vote and they outvoted me and <laughs> off I went. They sent me to the <laughs> oh Fort Smith gosh. PD, you know, to talk to detectives. And what happened is when I went for that meeting, not only did they have the current detective on the case, but they had all of the retired detectives in the room. And intimidating. it was very intimidating, yeah. Yeah. but it also showed me how important this case was to them and to the community. And I really caught their passion and that increased for me when they took me out to the place where Melissa's body was discovered. And when I was out there that day, just on this cold mountaintop, knowing that that's where they had left, you know, the killer had left her body, just something changed with me. It was, I knew that I had to advocate for this case. So it went from the extreme of me saying, we are not going to tackle the wit case, to here I am eight years in and I wake up every morning with Melissa Witt on my mind. So that's, that was the beginnings of this. So there was never um, a book and the book came about because COVID happened and you're Mm -hmm. home and, and the case is stagnant. I know people will say, well, it's stagnant because it's a cold case, but no, it's not. It's a very active case, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to do something. And so I literally said, I think I'm going to write a book and you know I didn't know that it would be published I didn't know it would become what it has mm-hmm. um but I'm grateful for that because it did propel her case mm-hmm. you know to the next level so
0: I think something can definitely be said of like something ac- life-changing can happen when you stand at those places like we've gone to several places um that's actually coming up right after this episode is the Laura um laura bible and ashley freeman saga and gone and spoke to all these people and like stood there on the grounds and something just happens to you when you're standing it changes you like you're able to smell what they smelled see what they see hear what they heard like even though there may be you know decades in between it's still like it's still the earth the earth is still there the way it was and there's just something like spiritual i think that happens like in that
1: moment it's almost like you feel yourself in maybe what they went through during yeah. that time you you try to you know well and you can you, you get you a you get a different angle yes. on it too you empathize yeah. you empathize and then you almost feel like you're just re, you know it's almost like they're reaching out to you almost yeah. and, and so you feel like you just really need to advocate for well, them
3: i think it becomes real i yeah. mean you know standing out there and knowing that this 19-year-old girl, beautiful girl, had the whole world at her fingertips, was left out there naked, everything mm-hmm. taken from her, um, and left out there like she didn't mean anything to anybody. You know, all I could picture in that moment were my five girls. You know, I have five mm-hmm. girls and two boys. But just knowing that that could be your sister, your your, your daughter, your friend, you know, it, it did change me, and it, it is what lit this fire for me because she deserves justice. I know it's not going to bring Melissa back, but you know, that part that's, that's done. But what can come out of this is some good is that he can't hurt anybody else. And that's my mission.
0: Exactly. I think there's a lot of emotions. Like when you decide to step into role podcaster, true crime podcaster, true crime Mm -hmm. author, like whatever it is, like there are so many emotions that comes with it, it from, from grief. Like immediately, like I've, I've never met this person in my life and now I'm grieving for them mm. to absolute anger <laughs> to like, there's so many emotions, a rollercoaster of emotion that go through you that you're like, I didn't even know was in there for this person. But this guy does not get to walk around on the face of this planet having done something like that.
2: Yeah, it's you infuriating know? to yeah. think that he is, you know, out there. He might even be listening to this right now. And it's We're just, coming for you. <laughs> right. I always say that, you know,
3: we are. We're coming yeah, for you. Yeah, you
2: speak directly to him pretty frequently. And when you two were just talking about that spiritual experience, when you go to the scene of a crime or a body dump, like I actually had that today because LaDonna took me out to the Ozarks this morning oh. before we came here. Wow. And it, it was very intense to be out there. And it just, it helps you to really, um, I guess, put yourself in that moment for them. And also mm-hmm. in the mind of a killer, too. Why was it here? What does yeah. this mean to them? How mm-hmm. far did they have to drive? What mm-hmm. were they thinking going down this road? It's a little perspective. Yes, yes. and And being there today, it just really brought it home for me that this, you know, this place is so remote. This is a place that somebody would have to know very well to get out here or to go out here. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just gave me chills thinking about the, the suspects that we've researched or that, you know, we've done deep dives into. It's like just going into your mind, putting each of them there. Well, would they come out here? Mm -hmm. And what did this place mean to them or could have meant to them and it was it was hard to be out there and and know that that event had happened and and to picture it
0: it's so strange because the quiet is so loud sometimes it is
3: well and and her mom is not here anymore yeah right and so there's a part of that mama bear that comes out that says no and it's not just about melissa you know unfortunately melissa's gone Mm -hmm. i wish that it were different but I also say not one more girl. Mm-hmm. And I wanna send a very strong message to anybody else out there that's a would be killer that there are people who are gonna link arms in this world. Women are gonna to stand together and we're gonna say, No more violence. Mm-hmm. And so it's as much a part of that as anything else. And and, and being uh, you know, a woman myself and I've, you know, encountered, you know, violence that's happened in my life and friends who've, you know, been sexually assaulted and, and those sorts of things. It just it makes it very, very personal for me. And it really is a personal journey for me. And I never, ever believed that I would spend eight years of my life on a cold case. It was not the plan. Yeah. You know, it wasn't. It's just, it is it is what it is, so.
0: I think there's a lot of us here now um, as advocates that definitely were not here even five years ago um, that are all, and, and I love this community because most of it is Let's join forces. <laughs> yeah, let's work together. Yeah, let's work together instead of, like, you know, knocking each other down or being like, I got to be the best podcast in the biz or, you know, whatever. It's like, let's work together and let's figure this out together because that's the only way that we're going to put a stop to any of this and create, you know, awareness at all.
1: Well, in a community that can, yeah you know, create prevention and advocacy. And unfortunately, there's not just a place you can go that, is going to, it's just going to be this magic bubble. Mm-hmm. Like we have yeah. to, we, we have, have to, to always be aware. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I think when we all band together and we, it really yeah. creates, it makes a difference. And when you have,
0: when, I mean, it's just yourself being aware. That's great. But like when you have others around you that you can band together with, well, now you've got like, you've got a little force behind you, you know?
1: Well, yeah. There's always safety in numbers yeah. and, you know, and. The more you have, the more people that are working on it, advocating, the better you know you have a chance of prevention. I I have to see. I don't know what it is. This season, I just came out as a sexual assault survivor.
0: I should not be here. I should not. I'll just say that. I should not be here with Melissa. I connected it a little bit more because it's like I probably should have been her. I probably should have
3: been her. And I was only 16 years old. So she's with me every day. She's been with me every day. Yeah. That's just, that's that's hard, but, you know, I think, I think that a lot of women who have been victims of sexual assault can relate to this case, because this is, you know, very much what happened to her, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's unsolved, and it's unfair, and it's not okay, but, you know, a friend of mine who's a podcaster, he said something really important to me that stuck with me, and he said to me one day, he said, what you're doing is so important to get her justice, but you're also helping keep her memory alive because her life was so much more than just that little short time mm-hmm. when she was murdered mm-hmm. and that has really just always stuck with me because I want that as much for her as I, I do anything yeah. else because she had a bright bright future and yeah. it was taken from her
1: she, she was in college and yeah. was planning yeah. you know her career and that really resonates with me since I teach you know and you've she got, could got one, one, in one in college she could have been one of my students you know, that I was teaching and she was telling me about what she was going to do with their life. Cause a lot of times they do that. And right. That's such
2: an exciting part of life, yes. that age where you just have so many ideas about what you may do.
1: Yeah. And who you want to be yeah. and where you want to go. And the world is yours. And you know, to have that. And I wasn't, I'm not a, you know, sexual, um, but I have been a sexual violence survivor, but I have been approached by a, a, a very famous rapist and at her age and that's you know I think about that when I think about Melissa about what if I would have done one thing one tiny little thing different that night I would have been Mm -hmm. and so and we say that we say that too all the time we're like you know
0: that's the biggest reason why we do this podcast is because we want people to realize that these women these victims are more than just a victim they're more than how they
1: ended yes because she had thoughts she she had thoughts that night I mean you don't know what was going through her mind you know when she was going through all that and I can only imagine what was going through my mind when I was approached so to imagine what was going through her mind and nothing I did would have been any different than what she did Mm -hmm. I just happened to do something that thwarted you know that thwarted him but that doesn't mean that I even knew what I was doing I was 19 so Melissa thinking about her you know and it's so crazy to me how like my thing
0: and your thing and even Melissa's thing like some of these people are so brazen like because it like that was a pretty big parking lot a lot of people going in and out and it's like like it's almost like you feel like what you're like above it to not
1: get caught or something um, Ladonna, do you think that, you know, since there was security there on certain nights, how do you feel like that played in since there wasn't security there? I no, really, they
3: they only had minimal security, right? Yeah, the security was um, every other night. Okay. And it wasn't, they weren't there that night. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no cameras. But I really don't think that that played into you this don't? at all. Okay. I really think that she was approached by someone that she knew, mm-hmm. whether it was well or that she'd just known him for a few days. And, you know, the argument that was overheard by a witness, you know, really l- led investigators to believe that she did know this person. And I, I think they didn't get their way. And when they lashed out and they hit her in the head and that head wound bled the way it did and it mm-hmm. probably knocked her unconscious, you know, they, they panicked and they took her. I, kn- I don't think they ever went there that night with the intention of mm-hmm. murder.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, it's it's crazy because when we w- went to Miami on our little trip Uh, We were talking about this case, case. and we were both like at the point where um, the profile, like the profile part, was coming up, and we're like, "Okay, let's talk about this. Let's hash it out and see what we think to see if it matches up." And it's like verbatim, like perfectly matches exactly what we thought.
1: Yeah, you can almost picture him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and the only reason I was kind of thinking about you know the security is that somebody that was frequent in the the bowling alley.
3: It's, it's possible. You know, it was league night for her mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Melissa didn't go every Thursday night okay. for league night, but she did go. So anybody that, that knew her well would have known that sometimes she would be there. It, she could have come across them earlier in the day. I really think that she, you know, spurned some advances, and they could not control their temper. And that's part of what the FBI profile says. You know, it's, you know, he, he was hot-tempered. And if you look at that crime scene as compared to where they found her body, you know, the crime scene there is really, really disorganized because, you know, he, he, it was like a blitz attack. Mm-hmm. Hits and her in the head. This is,
0: this is what we, we were like mixed, totally mixed. So yeah, we were like nailing <laughs> and all And then this. you went
1: back and then, I mean, then you had time to go back and really think about what you wanted to yeah, do after yeah. you went into a rage. Well, you knocked is somebody kind out.
0: You know, you you don't know what's happening. And you're like, oh, I got to do all this is like so disorganized. And then you have someone passed out next to you and you get to think about it for, you know, however long that you're driving.
2: Which was an hour to those Art National Forest. So we believe. Yeah, when we drove out there today, I was like, this is so long to be in somebody in the back of someone's car. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It, it
3: is. And I think at some point when she woke up in that car. He never restrained her. We know that she was not restrained. Mm-hmm. And I think that because she didn't try to jump out of the car or any of those things that we think about now, mm-hmm. there could be some reasons for that. But I think it's because she knew this person, you know, however well that was, and maybe tried to talk her way out of it. Yeah. But I can tell you from being at the, the site, and they call it the dump site, from the first time I went there, and I get very emotional about it. Yeah, I, I don't like that word. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I step out of the car, and J.C. Ryder... The, you know the lead, the original lead detective on the case. He looks at me and he says, "If you screamed right now, nobody would hear Mm-mm. you." And when he said that, I think that was like the beginning of the realization of the horror for her, because mm-hmm. when she was taken to that location, she knew she was not going to leave. Yeah, there's so no way sad. that she did it. Yeah. I mean.
0: Well, and you also have to think of like how, however long she's passed out on the way there, there's a good chance she had no idea where she was. Or how deep in she was or if she could even attempt to walk out of there without, you know, something natural happening.
1: Well, disorientation Mm -hmm. you know, from having a head wound you know, that's what makes me think that you could be very disoriented, dizzy nauseous, um, you know
3: to where Mm -hmm. you're at. Mm -hmm. Absolutely and, and, you know, she was a very sweet, kind, naive girl but she was also feisty Mm -hmm. you know, and I believe that I hope she gave him the what for. I do, too. I have to believe that she did. I hope that she did. Yeah. I I mean, I'm getting emotional about that, thinking about it, because he had it coming, and I hope that she gave him, you know, the fight of her life. Mm -hmm. I hope so, too. And so she she deserves nothing less than me giving the fight of my life for her. And I'm going to do that. If this takes another eight years, another 20 years, you know... God forbid that it does and you know I was getting to the point where it was almost becoming a lonely journey for me and really difficult it's a heavy heavy load and that's really when I feel like the universe sort of sent me Alicia and I mean we've just become the dynamic duo I mean mm-hmm. she's amazing
2: yeah when when our paths intersected it's it's hard to describe the passion that I feel it doesn't make sense the way I feel about this case oh and I completely about understand helping LaDonna I just I feel like I was made to do this mm-hmm. and I will see it through with her yeah I have I have a lot of that like
0: there are some cases that like don't really even connect with me in any way um the ones that stick with you like they I could not tell you why I don't have a reason for it but they're always there in the back of my mind and you just get so passionate about it and you're like okay well I guess I'm advocating for them forever now
1: so well and I think too it helps you kind of become who you are and the more you the more you learn about a case and the more you feel drawn to it the more you kind of you just kind of let it go be and you kind of go with it instead of you leading it it leads you yeah it's sort of
2: a a following of intuition and I think that it's really important to pay attention when you get feelings about I should do this or Mm -hmm. I should help with this because um there's probably a reason why you feel that way Mm -hmm. um so I was gonna ask you
0: because this is something we were actually discussing um we also feel like this was probably somebody that she may not have known known but knew of but he knew her does that make sense it's possible yeah like absolutely maybe he went to school with her maybe he watched her day in and day out maybe you know something like that um but we were also talking about um in the book you described how there was a possibility that whoever did this knew that area really well like maybe they hunted out there or fished out there and I was like oh yes I remember that I was like where okay but where do we check for licenses where do we check for hunting licenses where do we check for fishing licenses for like active active licenses that year because I feel like I come from a big hunting family and a lot of them are not angels But they always keep their hunting and fishing license up. I'm just saying. It's Because if you get caught out there doing something, you'll be banned and you won't be able to come back out there. You know what I
3: mean? So, like, I'm like, okay, well, we need to find the hunting and fishing licenses for that year. And those were checked and rechecked. And then I came in and I checked again. And, you know, convinced. You know, when I started this, I was green. Mm -hmm. You know, here I am. It's 2015. And I've never done anything quite like this. But I turned everything upside down i rechecked every single thing and there is nothing so frustrating and i even worked with the dental office where she worked and i had them pull every record of every person that came in there and i looked at it and i narrowed it down to there were five different people and i was like um she went to school with this person this person lived three blocks from her Mm -hmm. and please you know okay well here's who, who we looked at and why and so that's what's been frustrating about this case because there's been a phenomenal amount of work done mm-hmm. and it's turning up nothing. Yeah.
1: What is the rule for someone, what is the age that you have to have a hunting and fishing license in Arkansas? It's
0: eight, is it 18 or is it 16 in Arkansas?
3: I think it changed at some point, but I believe it I was like it, 18. Could it be
1: someone under 18 that was 17? Like a senior in high school or someone that? I mean, just well, I'm you just know what? That out there, they no, have to have one. That's really good to think about because
0: I actually didn't think about that. Like, if you were, you normally went out there like with your dad or something. Because that
1: would still put them in the age range of yeah. have gone to school with her at some point. Because that would put her two years older than them. But it could be somebody near where she lives. But I'm thinking if they were just right under that age limit, then they wouldn't have to have one.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it's possible that yeah. it was somebody that went out there to camp. Mm -hmm. float the mulberry i mean there are some Mm -hmm. ways you can circumvent you know Mm -hmm. but i mean that is possible i mean there were some people who were 17 that were looked at i mean that's not outside of the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. so you know there were a you know roughly 300 people that were looked at Oh wow! and then since i've started this investigation so for the past eight years i've probably sent another 60 people to kind of look at you know and here's this here's that and so Lots and lots of work. And what one of the things that I you know, I want to point out is that what's so frightening about that time period of the 90s is this is prior to the sex offender list, registry list, yes, because yeah. that didn't happen for right. several years later. Right. And mm-hmm. Just the sheer amount of level three and four sex offenders that were just in the vicinity of the bowling alley that night, the fact that there were several serial killers that were working in the area in, in that yeah. time period, I mean, it was... Yeah. She had no idea, and none of us did, the kind of danger that was around. And that was was one of the motivations for the book is, I want people to understand is that you really don't know what's going on in your own backyard. No. I mean, you don't. You don't.
1: And that's why you have to, you know, and that's one thing I talk about in my classes in victimology and domestic violence. You have to watch your surroundings at all times because you don't really know who's watching you. And I don't mean that to sound scary, and I always tell them, I don't mean this to sound scary. It's not about being scared. Live your life. Do what you need to do, but pay attention and be
3: vigilant. Well, and that theme bleeds over into Strangled. Yes. I mean, because that's, (laughs) you know, what, you just wouldn't believe the amount of horrific evil that exists. And I didn't, you know, I thought I knew until, you know, we started in on on Strangled, Mm -hmm. and then it just sort of blew up for us, so.
0: I wanted to um, just elaborate. And the only reason that I'm bringing this up is because I feel like we've talked about explosive anger a lot. I feel like this perpetrator might have that sort of explosive anger, like yes, might be even very quiet most of the time, but one little trigger. And the only reason that I feel that way is because of the hyoid bone that's the only like the the minute that that was mentioned I was like that takes a lot like it takes so okay I I should back up here because the hyoid bone is a bone that kind of floats by itself in in the neck around the, the arteries and stuff like that so when you get strangled um especially like manually that usually doesn't Get broken. It doesn't get um, fractured in any way because nothing is around it. It's protected it's, by the... It's protected. And so when I read in there that it was fractured, I was like, oh, that is that is some rage. Because you also have the leaves and stuff in her lungs, mm-hmm. which implies that she was face down at one point and she was breathing this in and he was probably behind her strangling her. Because that would be the only way that you would have anything to push that
3: hyoid bone onto. He definitely strangled her from behind. And I I almost, you know, from everything I know from the case file and, you know, my research and this past eight eight years, you know, he he strangled her from behind, most likely had his knee in her back. Yes. I mean, he he put some serious force into this, but Um, I also think... Like serious force because he he was he was angry, mm-hmm. probably because she said she was gonna tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like you know you start working this case and and you can just almost see it. I mean, I talk about this in both books, just the amount of dreams that I've had about the you know about this murder, but he was angry, he was filled with rage. She had told him no, how dare she tell him no mm-hmm. and he he was just. And that's almost like a sense of entitlement as well—a very
1: narcissistic personality.
3: So that's how
2: I imagine it. And as you were saying that about the positioning of where he would be and how she could have had that bone happen or had that happen to her bone like that, it just my brain floods with one of these passages that I've read in the death fetish forums. of the man that I used to work for. He, he writes a lot in these forums and, you know, he's a pretty good person of interest in the case at this point. Mm -hmm. And he has this, um, he says it's a fantasy blog entry, but he's talking about what he likes to do to women and what positions he likes to put them in. And he says that he likes to get behind a woman before he manually strangles her. And he likes to put his knee in the small of her back and force her into the ground and he um you know he likes to feel her body squirming against him before he kills her while he's anticipating necrophilia
3: that
0: is that's almost like reliving as i was reading
2: this from a man i've been alone with several times it was impossible not to think of melissa witt Mm -hmm. and to think of her Mm -hmm. On the, on the forest floor that night because we know that's likely the, the positioning of what mm-hmm. happened to yeah. her and speaking of um, this man so let's take it
0: back just a little bit um, because you said you've been alone with this man before mm-hmm. and this is kind of one of these incidents is kind of what led
2: you to LaDonna, right? Yes, yes. Tell us about that. So LaDonna had kind of said she'd been you know, working this case alone, well not alone alone, but she'd been working this case with law enforcement Mm -hmm. but her advocacy had been, you know, she's got her team but she'd been doing this a long time and she kind of needed a, a breath of fresh air and she was writing The Girl I Never Knew and she was probably about the middle of of finishing that when I came along and what was happening for me in my life was that and I laugh when I say this I was um, having some nerves about launching a YouTube channel it's
0: totally fine to laugh at your own trauma we do it <laughs> well
2: I well I was about to launch this YouTube channel that was about some pretty light topics I just yeah. wanted to talk about lucid dreaming mm-hmm. astral projection um, witchcraft just some you know, spiritual stuff yeah some spiritual stuff and I was feeling really nervous about being on video and so I was having this conversation with my sister and she was asking me, well, why are you so nervous about being on film? You know, have you ever, have you ever put videos online? Oh, just a little PTSD. No big deal. <laughs> well, I actually hadn't really processed this. So when she asked me this question, why are you so nervous about filming yourself? I had this memory come up for me from 2009. It was a very brief experience that I had. How where old were you?
1: When I in was 22.
2: Okay. So I was 22 years old and I had, um, applied for, a, like a personal assistant secretary position and I got I got the job with this man who was a pornography producer, and during my time working for him as his, I guess you could call me a secretary, Mm -hmm. he um, kind of groomed me and talked me into modeling for one of his fetish films that had no sex in it, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't really comfortable. I didn't want to be a porn star, but... He, you know, he talked me into doing that. And so there were many times where I was alone with him in his office, eventually filming in his basement, just the two of us. And so uh, this man that I, you know, had modeled for, had worked for, he, you know, I'd go on later to discover that he's writing these kinds of um, blog entries about what he likes to do to women. And wasn't there also something like he, he said at one point, like he likes to drag or or something, drag yeah, them? Yeah, he likes to drag bodies and stash them behind a a rock or a log, you know, and Melissa Witt was found behind this big rock that looks like a tombstone.
0: That is just too, I feel like too coincidental.
2: So taking it back to how LaDonna and I met, I was having this conversation with my sister. This memory came up about this video that I had allowed him to film of me, and so I realized I had never shared that with anybody, Mm -hmm. and I told her about it. And one of the details about this experience was that he, um, you know, he he wanted me to model in this morgue fetish video where I was to pretend to be dead for a half hour. Mm -hmm. And he needed me to wear a Mickey Mouse watch um, in the video, which is a very strange detail. And as I'm explaining this to her, she says... That's really weird. That sounds like a serial killer trophy, honestly. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you're you're really right about that. So she goes quiet for like a minute, and then she sends me the screenshot of Ladonna's website about Melissa Witt, and um, it's it was an article that had interviewed i think it was with a magazine they'd interviewed ladonna about the wit case and ladonna was talking about how the mickey mouse watch was never recovered from right. the crime scene yes. and i you know i just got full body chills i i felt manic after that i was just like oh my gosh this is so crazy weird and I need to do something about this I need to call this woman and tell her what I experienced mm-hmm. and I was just I guess thinking at that point that um, I guess perhaps that somebody shady ordered this video and that maybe we could right. figure out who ordered it yeah Um. but as we really started unpacking this together and with the police in interviews we started to kind of wonder if there could be any involvement with the man that I worked with, the producer and we needed to find out if he had any ties to Arkansas if, you know he had any reason to be in the Ozark National Forest and it just became very scary when we discovered that he does have ties to Arkansas and that in addition to being a pornography producer who is obsessed with strangulation, he also has a very extensive
1: background in forestry work like 30 year background oh wow well and that to me you know the serial killer aspect with you being his secretary he wouldn't um, even though you're alone with him he probably wouldn't have touched you or even wanted to do that because that's they don't usually do that with people that work with them or you know their family because that's their that's, that's their cover.
0: That's, that's their deep, dark
1: well, secret. Well, it is. And so, you know, that that's what... And so they do that with, with people they don't know. You um, know
3: what, what? To kind of complicate that, if you look at... <laughs> if you look at Alicia's photo compared to Melissa Witt, I mean... They look a lot alike. Well, look yes. on the wall
2: there. You can see. We were we were looking at this picture, you this oh, yeah. beautiful photo you made of us here, but we were covering my eyes up, and we were like, wow, look at the nose and the mouth and the wow. chin line. It's
1: kind of freaky yes it's it's similar and is there is there any way that she could have come in contact with him at some point well he has ties to arkansas and he has
2: ties to forestry work so it seems i mean to me you're on the right track was he younger or older he was a couple years older okay so he
1: would have been like 22 23 i was just wondering if maybe he was in college taking
3: college classes or doing anything like that probably not there i think he would have been He would have been passing through and you know he was not so bad looking back Mm. in the day and it's possible that you know he could have caught her attention and you know one of of the other suspects that we looked at for a long time you know he's never been fully ruled out was Larry Swearingen Mm -hmm. you know he was executed in the Trotter case and you know he was in Arkansas just a few days before you know the Trotter case is really similar and you know to look at him would mean that he you know, he would have encountered her just days before, which was what happened when he killed Melissa Trotter. Yeah. And so I yes. bring that up to say that, you know, these men are typically pretty charismatic. Mm. Yes, And they are. Mm-hmm. it's possible she was pumping gas and saw him. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, maybe she was grabbing a slice of pizza. So there's a lot of possibilities. You know, we just don't know. We just don't know.
0: It's again, that entitlement, that Oh, I can do whatever I want, so I'm gonna take it's a whatever control. I want. It's yeah. a
1: control. I mean, and yeah. and that's why they don't. That's why they don't tend to have a tendency to hurt people that they know because they want to narcissistic. They want to keep that facade that they are this wonderful person, so they can approach people, mm-hmm. and and so you know people, so things aren't looked in, into their life because their life is okay because they haven't hurt anyone around them. So did you did you start as an
2: assistant? And then he was like, oh, by the way, we do this weird thing. So this is so strange. I responded to this employment ad. I had an interview with him. He hired me on the spot without checking my references, doing anything like that. He had a public office, you know, like an office park public office space so I felt comfortable going in for my first shift because it wasn't like his house or anything you know but I show up for my first office shift and it's I mean it looks like a stage set it's just an office that's really empty with a table and he's in he's sitting there with his laptop when I get there he doesn't have a phone line he doesn't have a computer for me to work on um, you know, so I sat down and we went over a few like first day things, but we didn't sign paperwork, nothing like that. I was just asking him what he needed help with in his business and he didn't have anything for me to do that day and he said don't worry I'm still gonna pay you um, let's just sit and get to know each other and then he immediately started asking me questions about if I'd be comfortable modeling if I wanted to make more money so this
0: is all the red flags that we like to talk about like this is why we talk about this stuff because
2: Awareness is key. Like so, yes. If I hadn't been a naive twenty-two-year-old, I would have been like, "This is real human trafficking. I yeah, need to get up yeah, and leave." Yes.
0: But a lot of us were very naive, well, twenty years old. Twenty. That's
1: part of you know. As we age, we learn and grow. And we come into these you know experiences, and if you haven't experienced that, especially when you're that age and you've been, you know, the world has not been unkind to you, you. You don't think it's going to happen to you. Right.
2: Yeah. I thought he was trying to help me. He's like, you yeah. need yes. you need money. You know, you needed this job. Let's get you some more money. I'll call you first before anybody else mm. if I have films that I can use you in. And... And so, as soon as I said yes, he called me the very next day and said, I got this really weird video in. It's a morgue fetish video. It'll be the easiest $500 you've ever made in your life. You just have to lay there. You know, he was very, very convincing. Yeah. They are Uh,
3: usually very charismatic. Yeah. Very charismatic. He had the art of grooming down. Yeah. You know, to a.
2: Yeah, he could have had that secretary ad out for months just pulling. Um, You know, because I feel like he really did want women that were not... Yeah, he he didn't want full, you know, full-fledged porn stars. He wanted innocent young women in his videos.
1: Well, and, you know, like you said, full-fledged pornography stars, they're going to have agents. And they're going to be pretty savvy about the industry. And well-monitored. And and want you know, something probably money. They, I'm sure they want money up front for things like that. And yeah. so he knew he, he knew better. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to throw this
0: out here. We're not like trying to say like, you shouldn't be a porn star. If you, you do you boo boo. You can be a porn star. If you want to be a porn star. Right. Right. But it's about, being it's safe. about watching those red flags. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's what, um, kind of led you guys into strangled is, is this,
2: yeah, I thought,
0: So what happened? So you called Ladonna.
2: I wrote um, because her website has like a a, a tip, a submission tip form. Right. So I typed out a little. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing I had ever written. I was like, <laughs> This well, is going to sound super weird. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty weird, but I'm just going to throw it out there, and you can, you know, if it if it's nothing, then it's nothing. That's but you brave should.
1: though of you to do yeah. that. I think it's awesome yeah. that you did that.
3: Thank you. I, it's changed my life. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it was brave. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. I was telling somebody yesterday when we were doing an interview that, you know, I remember where I was, you know, what I was doing when that tip came through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're working a cold case like this, you know, you tend to see the same information come across again and again mm-hmm. and again. And sometimes it's legend that's regurgitated. It's just rumor. it's, and And every now and then you'll get something that's brand new. And those are the ones that get you really, you know, your blood going. And that whole entire day, I was like, death fetish? What is that? Oh, no. You know, and I'm just, I'm just horrified by this. I, I sort of obsessed about it the whole entire day until, you know, I have a, a, a full-time job and I had to tend to those duties. And so as soon as I got home to my home office and was able to. You know talk to retired detectives and we could formulate a plan and kind of like, talk through this did you
0: have to go to someone and be like listen is death fetish a thing like is that is that a real thing or do I need to even investigate this
3: like what what do I even do with this well I googled the words death fetish oh no and um, I was like well alrighty," and didn't want to go any further because I realized it was a thing oh, my and gosh. So you know that led to me going in person to talk to the lead investigator on Melissa's case at the time, and we we had a meeting with him, and and we decided what needed to be done. And so you know, and I, I give this warning in the book, and we give the warning in Strangled. You know, we do not recommend that anybody go and do a search on death fetish unless you I have. Promise, one. I won't. Well, don't. No. You will I promise regret it. I won't. No. Because you know, I, I see a therapist because of it, and um, it's it's life altering. It was for mm-hmm. me, and you really want to have the blessing of law enforcement, I think, because there's some mm-hmm. dangerous stuff, and so we had those things, and... And it is illegal in some states to have that sort of thing on your computer, too, so...
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: and and you're traipsing through, like, the literally the dark web, mm-hmm. and so people who know that side of, of the web, they know how to find you. They right. know yes. how to decipher and they have all these codes and all this stuff. And this is stuff I'm just learning just now because of, um, number one, because of the book. And then I had a friend who, um, her husband at the time did a lot of illegal stuff on the dark web. And she was like, Oh yeah, he used to show me like where you can get, you know, cocaine and how you order it and, and all of this stuff. She was like, I could, cause I was telling her about the book and she was like, I could show you how, you know, I was like, no, like no, 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 no. No, thank you. No, 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 no. I don't want to know any more than that. And she was like, No, well I can tell I can explain it. I was like, nope no no no. I'm done. I'm done with that. I don't even I don't want it anywhere near
3: me. I'm I I couldn't even imagine like Well, it's dangerous. And, you know, they're actively looking to you know, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but they're actively looking to commit all kinds of crimes, even within oh, yeah. that community. And, you know, we write about it in the book that they were able to snag my IP address regardless of how well I mm-hmm. had cloaked it, and they doxed me in the community. So the minute, you know, my personality is very, very, I think, aggressive, and I'm a fighter. Like, not a street fighter, but, yeah. you know, I'm going to fight back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they doxed me in the community, and it was like, oh, Yeah. I'm going to write a book about you. How about that? <laughs> about your whole community, you know. And start a podcast. <laughs> and so, you know, for us, it's now bigger than the Wit case because we've we've come across an entire community of primarily men who are glorifying the murder of women and young women. And a lot of this glorification in these movies is about real crime. I don't care that they tell you that it's fantasy. Mm -hmm. I don't care that they tell you that it's harmless. There's someone out there that wants to do it. It, They're lying. They're lying to you. And so we have to do something about it. And even if this community didn't have anything to do with the Witt murder, okay, it's possible that they didn't. It's Mm -hmm. possible they're just deranged enough to make movies like that. We still have to do something about it. yeah, Because it does impact women. It's still, yeah, yeah, and it's still just the hop away from
0: doing something in real life. It's
2: influential to be consuming that kind of content for years. It normalizes it, and it makes them feel comfortable having those thoughts and being in that frame of mind for hours and hours a day, and that's not good for anyone. Mm
1: -mm. No, and they could, you know, like you were, like LaDonna was saying, searching all the
3: time. Searching, searching, searching to find that perfect person that they, you know. Well, and it escalates, you know, just real quickly an example would be you know interviews with ted bundy and mm. and other serial killers who will tell you you know i started with this level of pornography mm-hmm. and it just it grew and grew and grew and it's then it becomes like it's not enough and so at some point for some of these people watching simulated murder is no longer enough like they've got this hunger yes. what is it what what do we read today
2: bloodlust there was a member of the death fetish community that posted today about he's actually there are, I'll back up and say, the death fetish community community talk about us a lot now in Mm -hmm. their forums. And they're talking about how angry they are that we're outing them on our podcast. And they don't like that we're saying they're dangerous because they don't think that their fetish is dangerous. And one of their members was bold enough to respond and say... Our fetish isn't safe. You know, it could be dangerous. We have to control ourselves. Mm -hmm. And he um, described his experience with his own fetish, which he said started as a fascination when he was five and became a fetish through puberty. And early. Yeah, he said he was having a fascination with death and um, violence and harm to himself initially, and that that sort of escalated into thinking about ways that women could be hurt and that becoming very arousing for him but when he's describing this he says that his death fetish is a bloodlust and a hunger that he has to control
0: this is like an alcoholic saying that alcohol is not bad for you I mean it, it's the same kind of scenario like you have an addiction and it's just going to keep getting worse mm-hmm. if if we don't figure out a way to curb it and the worst part is, is that you might end up killing someone.
1: Well, what's scary to me is is a lot of times you know take Ted Bundy, you know, when you don't have the empathy part of your brain in your prefrontal cortex or in yeah. your brain stem, you don't have a lot of times you don't have control over those thoughts and and something happens in your life mm-hmm. and then it triggers you. That's that that lack of impulse control. And then you really can't even, you know, you can't empathize you can't empathize with anyone else to be able to even stop what you're doing and you know and know that you're doing it exactly he knows the i mean i I say they don't know they they know they're doing it but i mean in the middle of it it's like they're in that rage in the middle of it and they go into automatic
3: defense mode and they're creating these online communities to normalize something that is not it's not normal normal or healthy and 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 it it shouldn't be normal well no and they you know there have been accusations that we're just against you know kinky sex no 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 we're not. That has nothing to do with this. This is the glorification of murder. This yes. is about obsessing yes. about, you know, women's deaths. And there are websites that these fetishers have about crucifixion, drowning, you know, asphyxiation. Every horrible thing. You know, what one of the names is belly stabber.
2: Yeah, that's a whole... Um Subcategory of death fetish. So they're all, they all have their preferred method of death.
3: I'm learning
1: too much. (laughs) This is, you know, and this just brings me back to the number one thing I always say it's about control. Yeah. It's about controlling someone else because you have no control over your mind.
2: Um, I think that necrophilia really plays along with that theme that you're yes. talking about, too, because once somebody's dead, they're limp and you can pose them. You, you can, can do whatever, do you, whatever you want, you want mm-hmm. with their body, and it's the ultimate control.
0: Well, we know, I mean, this is a true crime podcast. We know that necrophilia exists. We have talked about it with. I mean Jeffrey Dahmer and and all of these other cases we know that's a thing but I think what a lot of people don't know
3: is that you can just order that to go well no no no. and and that's you know part of our platform here is again you know there have been people who have criticized us for going down the death fetish route but unfortunately it's it's part of um this story it did intersect the wit case whether it solves the wit case i don't know but it's still part of it and so you know the point in the book is that we had to expose it we had to chase it down because it it could be potentially linked to melissa's case mm-hmm. and we wanted the world to understand that we're going to do what is necessary to get the case solved and sometimes that means that you're going to do some scary things mm-hmm. and this is scary but the more people that learn about this and join with us, we can stop it. We can say, hey, this exists. Help us. You know, help us put a stop to this.
1: Well, and one thing that just blows my mind about all this is if, is if you know, they want, if they're so brazen about doing this to to say, you, you know, talk about you guys and outing them, then why aren't you brazen about being out with it? Why do you have to go on this undercover yeah. black... My name is Dave and I'm a death fetisher. I mean, you know, because... <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. If if you're saying, why are you, you know, why are you doing, you know... Uh, why are you targeting us? Yes, why are you targeting us? Then Screen name,
3: 422-77. Why, why
1: are you hiding? Yeah. Because you know yeah. what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong. Well,
3: yeah. they do. They do know. And, you know, they... They make up outlandish stories about us. I love reading about myself in some of these forums. It's like, "I did that? Oh, I didn't know. I did, know. you know, and Tell me else what I did. You know, cuz I want to control you.
1: Yeah. And that's that's why they make up these stories. They, yeah. Well, yeah.
2: they've gone as far as to make up profiles and pretend to be us so that they can what? get the other members on board with attacking us. Oh my gosh. So they'll will pop into the forums and there'll be a new user that's not us and they'll be posting things like, "Stop Violent porn. It must end. Oh, no. And then they'll, you know, they'll talk about these two crazy ladies that are in here. And we're Mm-mm. like, that's not even us, though. But most of them will think that it is. Yeah. All
1: while they're hiding behind a screen. It's it, freaky people that people crazy.
2: become that fixated. I
1: know. It's like, I don't even know who you are. Like,
0: why
3: are you so concerned with what I'm well, doing? Well, it's like, move on, move along. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that the fetishers can't walk away from this because of what we're doing because we may be taking their livelihood very yeah. soon and i'm okay with that you know they're they're threatening to start a podcast of their own oh. please do <laughs> oh my gosh that, i would actually love to hear that. that
1: because then they would have to hide i, I, mean, they would, be out I, was, I would love to hear i
2: it. was in a fit of laughter about this when they started talking about making their own podcast because i was like so you death fetishers, you're angry with us for exposing you in a podcast. But so, you're gonna what you're going to do is make a podcast to expose yourself? That's like, so they don't fit.
1: think people are not going to listen and catch uh, on to them and be like searching for them. Oh it's my not, gosh. It, well, this is the thing. It's not just, I mean, there's a lot more people out there, you know, especially law enforcement, different people that will be like, Clinging on to them, well, like. Yeah. Have you seen how fast our podcast is growing? Oh yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. I I did see that. Yeah. I haven't listened yet, but I'm. That's on my. I put mm-hmm. it. My thing. It's to listen rocketing. To it week, We're on it. It the growing. Ireland
2: top chart yeah. and France top wow. chart, and
3: it's just this last week. It's been exploding and we're so We're coming from the U.S. charts that's now. Cool. And I'm excited about that because that is growing our army against the fetishers. Mm-hmm. And so this is as much about the Witt case as it is now, you know, the fetishers. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you tell me, if I find out tomorrow that the, the, the fetishers didn't have anything to do with this, I'm still going to go down this path to fight that because the violent pornography that's being depicted is, is horrific. Um, and I'll still fight for justice for Melissa Witt. So I want to talk about some things like
0: we were talking about self-awareness mm-hmm. and how you can stay away from this stuff. So how how do they function? Like what they, I know they have these forums that they go to. Do they go there and just like request things like
2: this is what I'm looking for? Can someone do this for me? Well, they, customs are a really big thing. So in these forums, there are people who are making money off of this content. There's producers. Okay. And so a consumer or a death fetisher can go in there and... It's just like made to order? Oh yeah, they approach a producer <sighs> oh and they wow. say, I want you to make me a video of a, a blonde who's 120 pounds and has, um, you know... She has this skin tone. She's going to wear this outfit. We're going to kill her like this. I need her to say this. I need that her to lay. crazy specific. Yeah, I want her to lay in this position. She needs to wear these shoes. Sometimes they'll mail outfits, you know, which could be a victim's clothing. Oh we don't gosh. even know. But so it's specific. that specific. They can say, I want this fetish video and make her say this and make her do this. And they'll basically pay whatever
3: yes. to obtain it. Yes. Anywhere from 500 to 10000 $500 to $10,000. Wow. Wow.
2: And so as as we research this and we and so somebody a producer will make this custom film for one person and then I guess they oftentimes will get permission from the person who ordered it to, to just resale. throw it up on the okay. store. And when you watch these videos, you can't help but wonder, well is this model okay? Yeah. Is she alive? Because it's a video of her being killed and you know some so of them are are so violent. That and is forceful. actually a question
0: I was going to ask you guys. Have you seen actually seen any of these videos? Yes. Yes. And how can you tell? Is there a way to tell
2: that's if they're really. actually
0: alive at the like what's the difference between this film and a snuff film how do you know
2: well one thing that's semi-comforting is that there are some models in the death fetish videos that you will see over and over again that are still filming and so we're like we you know we can look at that that and say she's probably alive because she just popped up in another film this month okay but there are I would say more films where it is a girl that's done one film and you never see her again So I'm wondering, like, where do they find these girls at, just like they found you? Well, yeah, that ties back into my experience. I responded to a Craigslist ad for a secretary position, and I was talked into doing one of these videos. But I
0: think maybe the thinking is, because of the Mickey Mouse watch thing, could the person who killed Melissa Witt have requested this specific
3: video? It's a possibility, yes. And it's also possible that whoever requested the video... Just was very sick and twisted and knew about the whip murder and wanted something similar. Wanted to see it play out. Sure. But, you know, yeah. the thing about that video is that, you know, they've got the Mickey Mouse watch. And there was just a lot of focus on that watch that didn't have anything to do with the video. Yeah, he Did kept it?
2: zooming in on the face of the watch and zooming out over and over again. It's like that has nothing to do with death fetish. So, so then who, who
1: wanted that video? That's,
3: I guess. And that's
0: the hard part, right? The, like you can't really track where they go after they're made.
3: Mm-hmm no i mean there are some records that they're supposed to keep but you know that would indicate that you know law enforcement is going to go in and do this deep dive and that's not we're not there yet Mm -hmm. and you know there's there has to be some things that are that fall into place to make make that happen especially because this man is in a different state right um but again you know it could be that that they were just trying to make a, a, a movie about a murder that, that, that they found was arousing. Imitation. Which, mm. you know, I, it's awful. All of it's so awful. And it's just, I hate that it has intersected the wit case the way that it has. But I also believe that fate brought us together.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And,
3: and because of that, we also have an additional mission because we want to prevent any other young girl from being murdered. Because in, a, in, you know, in our podcast, we talk about real murders that come out of the death fetish community. This yeah. stuff really, really happens. And so, it, you know, there's a lot of question marks. And I and I know, you know, sometimes the reader, readers will contact me and they'll say, we wanted you to tie this up for us in a nice little bow and a <laughs> package. And I can't because yeah. the case isn't solved. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, this is a reality. And, you know, there's a lot of different you know, questions that we need to have answered, but we're, we're trying to get to the bottom of that. It makes me wonder
0: how many, and this is just my own thoughts, but it makes me wonder how many women are into this and how many, just like that one same actress, like, does she enjoy doing this sort of stuff or does she just know it makes money? Like is she do it doing it just because she needs you know, she needs the money.
2: Yeah, the producers talk a bit about that amongst themselves on the forums and they themselves say most of these models do not have a death fetish. It's not their thing. They're just making easy money, Mm -hmm. and they're you know willing to do this because they've worked with me before. They they'll say they well she knows that I'm not going to kill her, so she keeps coming back. And it's like well is that a like that's a
3: possibility
1: in your mind? But well I couldn't imagine they'd want to be subjectified like that. Mm -hmm. Just. Well, but,
3: but there are also models that have told us that there are certain producers they won't work with because what happened was so terrible. Oh, and, wow. you know, we we interview a producer on one of the episodes, and he talks about, you know, how sometimes they took things to the edge. And when you listen to what he says, and you listen really carefully to the meaning, he says, you know, you know sometimes we push him to the edge, you know, physically. And he's not talking about sexual. Mm-hmm. He's talking about... You know when they strangle them because mm-hmm. they do strangle them
1: to where they pass
3: out they'll push them just to just to the point to yeah. that point and so I've played that over and over and over in my mind and that could go wrong really really so dangerous really quickly it's so dangerous you know
1: if you think if the girl uh, you know had any health problems or anything that could just be bad instantly yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a room for a lot of accidents
2: to happen there too and these are not men that I picture being upstanding
3: citizens, what do you do in that
2: instance? Like yeah. they're probably just gonna cover it up. Well yeah. and,
3: you know, and I, I think I would wanna add to this, if if Death Fetish is just fantasy and Ladonna and Alicia, bless their little hearts, have gotten it all wrong the way they say that we have, then why <laughs> in the hell did these men not come forward and say, What, you mean this movie had a Mickey Mouse watch in it and there was a real murder? we've got to get to the bottom of this. We're going to help you because yeah. we're just fantasy and this is not a big deal. And they didn't do that. Instead, they have threatened to traffic my children. Burn down your house.
2: Um, rape yeah. rape, and murder both of us.
1: It's,
0: it's, and that's the dangerous part of it is the death threats that you can receive. That's and, awful. I mean, but anything. It just
1: blows my mind, though, that they want to... Threaten such violent things, but yet they don't want to be out Yes, and that's the thing is that <laughs> for being bad people. Yes, and they're
2: arguing that they're harmless while they're firing they're being up violent. burner numbers,
1: then don't threatening us. Yes, yeah. if you're if you're harmless, you don't threaten people. Yeah, I mean no the, you know that. there's
3: a constant threat that they're going to put us in this shed, a shed that we know exists out in Oregon. You know they they they're going to do such horrific things to us, and I have trouble wrapping my mind around that because these are not you know normal things that you would do if you're just trying to protect a fantasy that they compare to Disney movies yeah you know it's just it's just fake it's just pretend it's
0: i mean i think um dressing up as mickey mouse is completely different than dressing up as a dead pers- person wearing mickey mouse well,
3: absolutely. that's
0: completely different and i mean If they can't see that, that's, 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 I think what you guys are trying to do is like, make them see that this is not, it's not. And if
3: these people were the upstanding citizens that they claim to be, and maybe they are, I don't know them. Okay. But they're into death fetish. I have some concerns. Then why the hell are you not helping us? I mean, I I could, I will say that again and again and again and again. I agree completely. Instead, you have terrorized two women for over a year. I mean it's it's non-stop the threats the emails the phone calls the, the text messages the you know tracking us down in real life I mean and there's some things that we can't talk about but sure. you know it goes on and on and on and all that's done for us is make us even more resolved that we're on the right track we're onto something mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be trying so hard to get us to stop yeah. cuz people people do that when they're scared if you're yeah. not scared,
1: you don't need to intimidate other people.
3: Well, and I think they have a lot to be scared about because yeah. they, you know they've got their livelihood. This is how some of them make their money. But you know whether wherever it's death fetish or it's in you know Fort Smith, Arkansas, the person responsible for Melissa Witt's killer needs you know for killing her needs to be scared. Yes. Because they have um, you know a force of some women and an entire team and law enforcement who are going to spend every minute for the rest of their lives to get justice. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that in itself should be scary.
0: And I feel like like if we're gonna, okay, if you want to make money making death fetish films, then the lightest side of that that I can even think of would be then you need to be out in the open and you need to be regulated.
1: with the same You need to have every single time. You need
0: to have a medical staff on you need you know a crew on staff waiting for you know to make sure that your actors are okay your actresses are fine documenting every time yeah, because i mean yes there are movies being made out there that portray str- strangulation and portray killing obviously oh yeah but they have like this entire crew on standby and they're not making it for just one guy you know initially and they're not making people pay 10,000s of dollars for it so if it's that of a hot commodity as you claim it to be, then why is it isn't it out in the open?
3: Well, and they have some you know pretty decent arguments that could sway some people. I'll give you an example. You know, Wes Craven got his start in Death Fetish, mm. and then he went on to do horror flicks. Okay, I don't know the details. I haven't really you know researched that, but I can tell you that comparing it to horror flicks is going to make some people out there who might be on the fence take pause because mm-hmm. yeah there are horror movies and it's you know people get murdered right mm-hmm. but it's also not the glorification of just yeah. women yes. being murdered and there's not and a It's real... not made to order. Exactly. No. Yeah. No, it's
2: Yeah, you have to think those custom films, it's like they're thinking of their coworker mm-hmm. or their you know Exactly. family member or somebody's wife or the girl they like at school, like they they're so specific.
3: It's Yeah. You know, we that's did, just We just want these people to get whatever help they need yeah. so yes. they can have a healthy relationship with the people around them mm-hmm. because I'm telling you most of these men that are married their wives don't know no you know they don't want their children to know somebody wrote in one of the forums my god i don't want to be exposed i have children
1: yeah because that's their facade Mm -hmm. my my
3: standard of living is if
1: you
0: don't want somebody to find out about it don't do it like it's obviously a sign that you shouldn't be doing it whatever it is
1: everything and i've told my students this a thousand times in victimology everything comes to light at some point yeah Everything. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that you can think that you can do that someone cannot find out about on social media because mm-hmm. everything you do on social media, it can be searched. Yeah, and and we're getting into a world now where,
0: you know, we have things like Othram and we've got genetic genealogy and we've got all of these cases being solved from you know decades ago, mm-hmm. and our our science is only going to keep advancing. And so we were talking about that earlier. Joseph
1: D'Angelo. Yeah. It's exciting. It It is. is. And he was caught and he was, how old was he when he was caught? Like 70 something.
3: And that's what makes
0: me think like this is, this death fetish stuff is the making of a serial killer. It is. It's their clubhouse. Yes. It's where they hang out. I mean, because everything is so specific. That's how these serial killers work. They have these specific check marks, this checklist that they go off of. This is like what they were wearing. This is, you know, where they were at. This is how they wore, literally how they wore their hair, that, how they parted their it's hair. It's that
1: narcissistic, fe- or narcissistic obsession. But th- that, that
0: was just a fetish at one point, was it not? I mean, that was just a fantasy for him at
3: one point. So when you start, you know, what you feed your mind. Mm-hmm does then start manifesting it does I mean and something hit me today um, and I, I can't give a lot of details other than to say that we've had some people contacting us because of the podcast and a, a family came forward and said hey do you know about this case it was my you know a relative of mine and we believe death fetish was involved I was floored and she's continued to message me some information about how they've networked with some other cases that they believe that death fetish played a role. And I thought to myself, you know, I think the work that she, she and I, Alicia and I are doing right now is going to be groundbreaking Mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot more death fetish related crimes out there than we could probably ever imagine. Sure. You you look at making of a murderer, you know, one, you know, Mm -hmm. Bobby Dassey, who is a potential... If you, I don't know what people think, if you, if you believe Stephen Avery killed Teresa Hallback or not. But he has a relative that they found death fetish on his computer. Mm. And, you know, tons of it. Thousands and thousands of images. Jeez. And, you know, it makes you take pause. What was going on? What was really going on? And then, you know, you have other people coming forward. We had someone... On our way here, Alicia, that messaged about being a phone sex operator. Oh, yes, and she
2: said that it was common for her to have people with a death fetish call in the sex hotline. And she said that she could not please them no matter what she did because they would, you know, ask her to role play over the phone, and then when they would get to the part where she had been killed by them in their little back-and-forth fantasy she said that they would yell at her and say, I can hear you breathing. And <laughs> she said, but if, you know, I if I stayed silent on the line as they were paying for it, they would get angry with me, too. So there was no way I could. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So we we were just blown away by that. We were like, wow. So this is perhaps common knowledge for phone sex operators that they, they have customers like this.
1: I did not know. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't think about that coming into play with, yeah. you know,
3: with that. I think it's important. Yeah. You know, and something else, too, to kind of pass on information-wise is that, you know, I think some people think that, oh, well, death fetish is harmless. You know, it's the, the girl is choosing to pretend to be, you know, deceased. Okay, fine, whatever, maybe to some degree. But you've got major mainstream pornography companies that are banning death fetish mm-hmm. for a reason mm-hmm. right and so i would also want this to be some kind of warning to young women who are in the porn in- industry mm-hmm. or you know or a sex
1: worker or a, or a well, phone operator and, yes and they say it's not harming but what about the psychological and emotional harm that it it, it had plays on the actresses because yeah. it does yeah
3: well and the viewer because you know, and I'm, I've been very open in the book. There's an entire chapter about it. And I'm, you know, open about it when we talk that I have to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. This is really, you know, we end the book and we talk about how this has changed our lives. It's changed the very fiber of our psyche. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. It's really hard to know this exists. It's really hard to see some of the things that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I'm a relatively normal person. I mean, the fetishers will tell you that I'm not, but you know, <laughs> think about how that's impacted me and so then think about immersing yourself in yeah. it. 10 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I can't imagine. It's
2: not healthy. Yeah, one of the models we've interviewed, a former death fetish model has said that she sees a therapist about it now and she knows that that was it was traumatic for her to work yeah. in that industry and she just didn't you can get ptsd i mean all
0: kinds well, of
1: definitely and a lot issues. of times people don't think you know like and what i say they say it's harmless but you might not realize that at the time it's you'll think oh that's fine like the models or someone viewing it it's not bothering me but then later it, it has a huge impact on how you live your life yeah. what you do and so people don't, i don't think people realize that in the moment and then later that's when it comes really back to get well, you I mean, how, how do you feel about looking at Mickey Mouse watches? Yeah, it's
2: it's yeah. terrifying now. And there's, you know, there's many parts of the story that come up for me like that. But it's scary to remember that. And like you were saying, this is something that happened for me when I was 22. I didn't process this until mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. So if you have infor- any information, if literally anything we said
0: at any point, whether it be the rage factor or the Mickey Mouse watch or you know someone who could possibly be into death fetish that you think might need some help with that or any information whatsoever about anything that we've talked about, there's a couple of places that you can go. Um, we actually have an anonymous tip um, where you can go on our website at www.thesirenspodcast.com contact. We have an anonymous, anonymous tip box there. Have no idea where it comes from, so just drop your tip in there. And I know that you guys as well have an anonymous tip box. I believe it is
3: it's on the Ms. Melissa Witt website, right? We actually have two. Okay. You can do it at who killed Missy Witt but we've also set up the um you know whisper whisper us a secret on oh, okay deep dark secrets podcast and you can also find us on social media. We also have a tip you know a tip line that you can call that's on the on the web page. And so all of it's confidential and we are very responsive. And you know, even if it's you need resources, we're gonna get you the resources. Yeah. If you've got a tip, we, we take it very seriously. So and we'll make sure that it gets to where it needs to be.
0: And if you want to dive a little deeper than we did you can always listen to the deep dark secrets podcast um you can always get the books you yes. can get both of them both i know both of them are on amazon where else can they find them
3: anywhere books are sold you can okay. go to my publisher's website you know our publisher's website is genius books. um walmart.com barnes so pretty much anywhere awesome. you can buy books
0: all right, thank you guys so much for being here today. Oh, well,
2: thank you
3: guys,
1: yes, and thank you, thank for, you so much for having yes. us. Thank you for, thanks advocating. for being had. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved it. We
3: we really we were excited to do this. So well,
1: and it's so important to, that you guys. Yeah, and I'm what glad you guys. Do, I'm glad you it. got to actually be in the studio with us.
2: Yeah, this has so. been great to it's see been really fun. your area. It's very yeah. cool.
3: Well, and we like to. To network and we like to meet um, other badass women and we know that yeah, we did yeah. with you guys Aww. and so thank you. I, yeah, we feel the same I, way. I'm really excited about what you're doing and this was a great opportunity for us. So Aww, thank, thank you so you. much. What I think is going to happen is that more and more people are going to come forward. Yeah, and I think that could be critical. And so we have to continue. And you know, to bring it back around again to the wit case, I mean, there's you know, there's another book coming. There's going to be a deep dive into another possibility. And we've got to keep our our minds open to what could have happened to her Mm -hmm. and continue to follow all of those leads until completion. And, of course, unfortunately, we're not there yet. I mean, we can't say definitively yes or no in the Witt case that death fetish played a role. And it makes me sad. It makes Mm -hmm. me really sad. Um, But it's just part of this journey that we're on. And the more that we learn... You know, I think education is key and we can pass that information on to people like you who mm-hmm. will pass it on to people oh, who yes. care and yeah. and I think that together we can we can get this case solved.
0: You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on The Sirens
3: Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?